Blog Talk Radio. For the next two hours, we're going to be, excuse me, next hour and a half, we're going to be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, all your beliefs, and of course, as always, you'll get a heavy dose of my opinion. You have an opinion, I'm going to call 646-727-3070, 646-727-3070. Hit us up on Twitter at GoForItGant, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. Hit us up here at the chat room. And then talk sports, have a great time, a good time, great time, awesome time doing it. Um, great show lined up for you today. Expect to be joined by NBA great Sidney Moncrief. Uh, we did an interview with Sidney on Tuesday. Uh, we're going to add an interview tonight. Um, we're going to talk to we talked to Sidney about numerous things, uh, the series uh, with the Bulls and the uh, Bucks, um, his Hall of Fame chances, a bunch of different things. We're going to talk to him about that. Also, Former NBA coach, former NBA uh, star, John Lucas will be joining us. And uh, we talked to John Lucas last night, and uh, we're going to talk to John Lucas about various things uh, in and around the NBA, Scott Brooks firing, um, his thoughts on the one and done, his thoughts on uh, NBA players coming straight from the high school. Um, I mean, we're going to talk to John. We talked to John Lucas about a bunch of different things. He's going to be joining us. Uh, John Lucas will be joining us uh, at 740 uh Sidney Moncrief at 710. And also we're going to be joined by one of the stars of True TV's, uh, I forgot the name of the show, one of the stars of True TV's. And it's a great show. It's an awesome show. It's a, And, you know, it's the highest rated show on True TV, Hardcore Pawn. Seth Gold will be joining us. And we're going to talk to Seth about Hardcore Pawn. I mean, the big show, big time show. They run that uh, shop out there in Detroit, and we're going to talk to Steph Gold, one of the, the stars of the show. He is the son of Les Gold, who is the owner of Hardcore Pawn, the owner of that pawn shop, and it's a family affair with Hardcore Pawn. And we're going to talk to Steph Gold about that. So John Lucas, Sidney Moncrief, and Steph Gold, Hardcore Pawn, great show. Stick around; it's going to be a lot of fun. Let's get right down to it. Last night. The NBA playoffs, hot, heavy, enjoyable, lovely, great. I mean, three games, three games that ended with the series, and all those series being 3-0, and three great basketball games. Two of those games, which went to overtime. One of those games, which went to double overtime. It was a great night of NBA basketball. And you look at it, let's start with the Golden State Warriors. Steph Curry doing what Steph Curry has done throughout the course of this season. You know, granted he had an off-shooting night, 10 for 29, missed 19 shots, but he did score 40 points and also scored and hit the game-tying three-point shot in regulation as, you know, down 20 going into the fourth quarter, and Golden State made a furious run 
to win that game. Here's what I say about that particular game. And here's that game's very important. And you may say, why, Paul, 2 0 uh, against a team that you're better than. But this is why that game's important. You need 16 games to win an NBA title. 16. So throughout the course of a playoff run, it's a long playoff run. If you're lucky, you'll only play 16 games. If you're lucky. That's if you're lucky. But more often than not, you're going to have to play 20 to maybe 23, 25 games. Who knows? I mean, if you max out seven-game series for four uh, rounds in a row, including the finals, you're talking about 28 games. Minimum 16, max 28. You don't want to play more than you need to play. And, you know, the, the, the reason, and the, it's a big reason, you start playing more games, there's more opportunity for injury. You start playing more games, then you run into what happened to OKC and Russell Westbrook a few years ago with his meniscus tear. You start playing more games, and then you run into what happened to OKC last season with Serge Ibaka missing the first two games of the Western Conference Finals against the San Antonio Spurs, and ultimately the San Antonio Spurs jumped out on OKC and ultimately won the series in six. So you play more games, you become more susceptible to injury. And your your, your whole playoff run can change in an instant. It's changed. It changed in an instant for OKC a few seasons back. In an instant, championship contender became a team that got out of the first round, but you knew they couldn't go any farther. You knew they were done. They were done. And so because of that, you got to be careful. And you don't want to play a bunch of games unnecessarily. And here's the bottom line also. Here's the bottom line. You start out, and you can even go back to Derrick Rose. And that was the first game against the Philadelphia 76ers, game one. Well, he tears his ACL. And that's the end of the series. Done deal. Series over. Your number one seed, best record in the Eastern Conference, series over. Just. Like that. Series over. And you expect it to go far. You expect it to contend. Series over. Just like that. Season over. Just like that. Championship aspirations, hopes, dreams. Done. Done. Just like that. So... The reality is you don't want to put yourself in position where you are missing a key star, a key player because of injury. And injuries happen when you play a lot of basketball games in a short time span, but injuries also happen when you play more games, more, more, more. So when you have a situation like Steph Curry – 
and Golden State, where you have an opportunity, all three of those teams, Bulls, Cavaliers, Warriors, each, all those teams have championship aspirations, championship hopes, championship dreams. Those three teams had an opportunity last night to go up 3-0 and to basically put that nail in the coffin. No one has ever come back from 3-0. 3-0 looks totally different than 2-1. Milwaukee wins last night. Guess what? Maybe they get some confidence, and maybe they get a little momentum, and maybe they actually believe they could beat the Chicago Bulls. Who knows? Pelicans win last night. Anthony Davis, big-time player, stud. Who knows? Maybe the Pelicans believe that they can defeat. Maybe they believe they can defeat the Golden State Warriors. They get a little confidence. 2-1 is totally different than 3-0. Who knows? Maybe the Boston Celtics. Obviously not as talented as the Cavaliers. Obviously no shot to win that series, but a, a, a gutsy, gritty, hard-working, play-hard team. Who knows? They down 2-1. Maybe they have a little confidence. 2-1 is better than 3-0. Any time, any day. Many have come back from 2-1. None have come back from 3-0. Many have come back from 2-0. None have come back from 3-0. Some have come back from 3-1. But 3-0 is usually the end. Unless you're the Boston Red Sox in 2003. It's usually the end. It's usually the end. And so, with that being said, with that being said, Last night was important games for those three teams, three teams that have championship aspirations, three teams that believe, that believe that they can get it done. And I said the 2003 Red Sox, it was the 2004 Boston Red Sox who were down 3-0 to the New York Yankees. But you look at it, and, and especially the Bulls with Derrick Rose. You know, you, you want to get Derrick Rose in and out of series as quick as you can. Get in, get out, get some rest. Let's get this sweep and get some rest. LeBron, same thing. Played a lot of playoff games over the year. Get your sweep, get some rest, get out. Put them away. At Golden State, again, championship dreams, hopes, and aspirations. You want to get in, do what you got to do, get out. Don't let a team like the Pelicans, a 45-win team, don't let them hang around and make you play unnecessary games. Make your stars play unnecessary minutes. You're going through the Western Conference, you're going through the gauntlet. It's that plain. It's that simple. After this, for Golden, uh, Golden State, it's probably going to be the Grizzlies. They're going to be a tough out. And after that, who knows who it's going to be? Could be the Clippers. Could be the Spurs. 
What a great series that is. We'll get to that as we go throughout the course of this show. What a great series that is. But it could be the Clippers and Spurs. Could be the Rockets who look good. So you never know. Get in, get out, handle your business, move on with your life. As we go throughout the course of tonight, Tim Tebow has returned. Tebow Mania is in Philadelphia. We'll talk about it. Greg Hardy, fair, unfair, 10-game suspension. We'll talk about You'll get my thoughts on that. Also, as we go throughout the course of the show, NFL draft, rumors swirling. It's going to be fun, baby. It's going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait to figure out what's going to happen. Mayweather Pacquiao, tickets are finally available. We'll talk about that. So much to talk about. So much to get to. We're going to bring in a guy now who did so much in the National Basketball Association, had a great career. Let's bring him in. Let's bring him in now, former NBA star, Sidney Moncrief. Sidney, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Paul. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Yes, I appreciate the invitation. Let me ask you this now, Sidney. The, the Milwaukee Bucks seemingly have an uphill battle against the Chicago Bulls. At this point, is it kind of safe to say that this series is probably over? No, no. I never said a series is over. A 2-0 lead and anything can happen if the old cliches would go. I felt Milwaukee's competed very well in both ball games, and if they can just make start making some shots, especially three-point shots, you never know. They still have a they still have an outside shot. Okay, we'll, we'll see what happens. Like you said, there's still some basketball to be played. As you I mean, Chicago. If you look at if you look at Chicago's shooting percentages, they hadn't really been they, they've been pretty relatively low. They Milwaukee helped them with 38 percent shooting uh, last evening, and a little bit more than 36 from the three. So they're doing some good things, Milwaukee. And like I said, all they need to start scoring more points, and they they have a shot. Milwaukee yeah, I, does. I, I mean, they're, they're, they've been playing. It, it, it has. It's not like. They've been getting blown out, and I think they can make it a competitive series. I just don't think they can beat the Chicago Bulls, but we'll see. I mean, like you said, there, there's a lot of basketball to be played. Let me ask you this. They made the transition Milwaukee Bucks. Jason Kidd comes in. You know, they, they you know last year uh, they had the worst record in basketball. This year, you know, they play much better. Ultimately, they make the playoffs. Talk about the turnaround of the Milwaukee Bucks. The turnaround has been very nice. I think the front office, John Hammond, New ownership, they've all appear to be on one page, Jason Kidd, as how they want to move the organization forward. And I think that's really crucial. You can tell from just being around the team that they believe in the system. They want to be in Milwaukee playing basketball, and you're seeing the results on the court. They're, a, a, not a, they're a young team, but they have veteran players, which I think is very important. We're talking to former NBA star Sidney Moncrief. And Sidney, Let's look at the MVP race now. I mean, you have James Harden, second in the league in scoring, led the Houston Rockets to the second uh, seed in the Western Conference. You've got Steph Curry, Golden State Warriors, best record in basketball. In your opinion, who is the MVP of the 2014-2015 NBA season? I'm not going to be political. I really don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. I mean, I don't think you could go wrong with either player. I don't think it should be an either-or proposition. Whoever is chosen – will be worthy either way. Uh, when I watch ball games, uh, they both seem to have tremendous impact on on both teams. They're competitive players. They're winners. 
I don't really have a strong feeling for this year. Unlike other years in the past, I could clearly say this player should be MVP. I, I, I can't really say it with any certainty for this year. Nobody? You can't pick one of the two? No, no, I couldn't even pick. I'm not trying to not insult anyone. I just can't pick which one. In my mind, it could be either or uh, as it relates to MVP. There were a couple other players that were in the discussion, certainly Russell uh, Russell Westbrook, even though they didn't make the playoffs. He was certainly valuable to their team, making the run to the playoffs. Davis has been very effective in putting Pelicans in the playoffs. But when you just nail it down to two players, I, I couldn't really pick between either either guy. Let me ask you this now, Sydney. just uh, talking about the game of basketball, the way it's played right now. You were a big-time defender in your day, and I've heard Isaiah Thomas say this, that right now this is the worst defense he's seen in the NBA in a long time. Do you agree? Well, I think it's the worst offense I've seen in a long time because uh, the shooting percentages are not – Low percentages are not just necessarily a function of good defense. It's a function of guys not having the skill set and ability to to uh, put the ball in the basket. I do know one thing that as far as setting their defense and scouting the other team's offense and at some point executing the game plan defensively, I think NBA teams uh, do fairly well. Uh, they they uh, seem to play the pick and roll. They have a lot of different options of how they play the pick and roll. I just feel that players can't score the basketball as much as as they probably could once years ago. We're talking to former NBA star Sidney Moncrief. And, Sidney, I want to ask you this, and just keep it with that defensive theme. You know, in the new rules, with the new rules, the new defensive rules, you can't use your hands as much as you did during your time. How much would that have changed the way you defended? Not a lot. I didn't use my hands a lot on the perimeter, and you can't use your hands on the perimeter now. Now, guys that played before me in the what eighties, I'm sorry, seventies, late seventies, early seventies, those players used their hands a lot uh, guarding the basketball. We did not use our hands a lot on the perimeter. On the inside, we did. We used more knees and more forearm when players would post us up. Uh, but I don't really think the way they're playing defense now would have had a huge difference, except we did not have a 2.9 for some years that I played. So the weak side could be more active. Uh, they could be in the lane more, and it certainly protected me when I, quote, was such a good defender, which actually we had a good team concept. So I think the team defensive concepts have certainly been impacted by the rule change. Individually, as it relates to how I play defense, it would not have mattered very much. We're talking to former NBA star Sidney Moncrief. And, Sidney, let's go back to the playoffs now, looking at the Eastern Conference. Uh, I look at three teams, the Cavs, the Hawks, and the Bulls, who theoretically could come out of the Eastern Conference. I think right now a lot of people are sleeping on the Atlanta Hawks. They are a 60-win team, and they're a very good basketball team. In your opinion, who gets out of the Eastern Conference? I think Atlanta. I really think you, you can't discount when a team wins 60 ball games. you can't discount when they average over 25 assists per ball game, they have four or five players that score in double figures. They're well coached. Uh, they don't give up transition points at a very high rate. They have a decent turnover percentage. They do a lot of things well on the basketball court. And I just think over the long haul, even though their bench obviously is not as robust as some people would like to say or see, I like 
the way they play the game of basketball, and I, I think they will. I have them coming out of the East. And you think even though there's not a defined star with the Atlanta Hawks and, you know, what happens in the playoffs, the game slows down a little bit, you need certain guys to step up, you feel like this team is built to win? Well, they've done it all year. Let's forget that they've done it without a designated star, even though they have very good players. I mean, Jeff Teague, I would love to see him take a last-second shot. Neil Sack can make a shot at the end. Certainly Holford's made big shots throughout the year. I just don't think you can discount what they've done during the regular season in close ball games simply because it's a playoffs. Uh, I think they'll find a way to make the plays they need to make to win those games. Everybody says, you know, the playoffs are a totally different game. They say the game slows down more. Talk about that. Well, I, I think the playoffs can be a little different. I think it's, it's different from the intensity standpoint. I don't think any of us can say right now that we're I'm watching the game tonight, tonight a couple of games. I watch them every night. We really can't say the games have slowed down. The, the point projection has been pretty high. Right. Uh, so, and then when I played in the playoffs, teams scored. But the difference is the intensity level is higher, and now a team can focus real closely on what you do day in and day out, game in and game out. Even from an individual tendency standpoint, now it's harder for you to get off your game because players know Here's what this player is going to do most of the time. And so I think everything's tightened up from that standpoint. But there's still opportunities to score, and, and teams are still scoring points. For sure. We're talking of uh, former NBA star Sidney Monk. Now, out west, Sydney, you got the Golden State Warriors' best record in basketball. And whoever comes out of the west is actually going to go through the gauntlet. I mean, seven teams in the playoffs with 50 wins or more. With that being said, who goes through the gauntlet and who comes out of the Western Conference? Golden State comes out of the Western Conference. They have too much foul power. In addition to they can they can defend. They have a great home court. Uh, they 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 play defense at a number of positions. They have a center that can protect the paint, rebound very well. Uh, he he can block shots. You have two guards that can score at will in a lot of different ways. They're long. They can put different lineups on the court. Uh, no doubt in my mind that Golden State should be the team that comes out of the West. I, I agree with you. I mean, like you said, they just have those moments where they just explode and they just blow basketball games wide open. And they've been doing it throughout the course of the season. They've been doing it in the series against the Pelicans thus far. Let me ask you this now, Sydney: Who wins it all? I don't know. I just don't. I don't know if you can say Golden State is a shoe-in or someone from the West will just take the NBA title. I wouldn't go that far. Uh, I don't really know who will win it all. I like Golden State in general. Okay. Only because of their firepower and their ability to defend. So if I had to pick a team, I would pick Golden State to win it all. So Golden State, okay. You're going with Golden State. I'll put you down for Golden State. Well, I'm not going for anyone. I'm going for Milwaukee. You asked me a question about who I thought would win. It was probably be Golden State. <laughs> you put me down for Milwaukee if you ask me a different question. Okay. okay. <laughs> I look, and speaking of the Bucks, your Bucks in the 80s, I look at those teams and, you know, the Sixers were always in the way. The Celtics were always in the way. How good were those teams? Oh, we were good. We would certainly be an NBA final team today, the way the NBA is, is set up right now. But 
the teams that we played were just, if you go back and look at the roster and their records, the Celtics, the great teams of the Celtics in the 80s and certainly the 76ers, those teams were just from top to bottom. They were well-built, well-equipped to win ball games, And the guys were just savvy basketball players, and they just competed. And the guys, the guys today in the NBA can compete. I mean, you watch these 12 ball games, they're certainly going out there competing. Just not the size and basketball IQ that you probably saw in the 80s. Okay. Let's look at your career now. I mean, five-time All-Star, two-time Defensive Player of the Year. In your opinion, are you a Hall of Famer? Oh, yes. Yes, I think I think a lot of times Hall of Fame is always based on number of points that you put up. And if you, if you score over 17,000 or 20,000, I don't know what the threshold is, you, you have a pretty good chance of being a Hall of Fame player. They don't normally take into account, I don't think, defensive – uh, presence or total team record when you were with the ball club, but either way, my life is good. Hall of Fame or not, I'm, I don't spend any time being concerned about if I make go to the Hall of Fame or not. That's just something nice if it happened, but my, my life is certainly not defined by being a Hall of Fame basketball player. Now, what made you such a great defender? Obviously, you were a great defender in your career. What made you that great defender? I played for Coach Eddie Sutton for four years at Arkansas, and he was one of the best defensive minds and defensive coaches in the history of basketball. So I was drilled very well in, in high school and also in college. Then when I got to Milwaukee, and people don't realize this, Don Nelson, John Killaway, uh, Mike Schuler, we had some, some basketball minds that really emphasized defense even in Milwaukee. And so that, that really helped me from a team standpoint because individually you can't really say you're going to stop the best offensive players in the NBA, even if you're a good defensive player. But if you know that your defense is set up in certain directions, you can push and funnel players away from their strengths to their weakness and hopefully have your teammates there to protect you. And I had that quite a bit during my NBA career. Who was your hardest guy to defend? Who was the hardest guy for you to defend? Oh, Michael Jordan. Andrew Tony was Andrew Tony was probably equal. I, I didn't say it was equal. Michael's the greatest basketball player in the history of the game, in my opinion, along with Bill Russell and and uh, Kareem and then all those Oscar. But Andrew Tony offensively was probably one of the more difficult player, players, along with Michael Jordan, for me to defend. Wow. But Andrew Tony could he could he was powerful. He was kind of. He was built a certain way. He had a very quick first step. He could shoot a three. He could shoot a two. He could post you up. He could take two dribbles to the left, shoot a jumper, two dribbles to the right, shoot a jumper. So how could you guard him? How could you anticipate what he might do? How could you even play a tendency? You really couldn't because he kept you off balance with all the different things he could do offensively. Do you see yourself coaching again? I mean, you were assistant coach for the Bucks back in 2011. You were head coach uh, in the D-League as well. Are you done with coaching? Do you see yourself doing that again? I coach all the time. <laughs> I do. I do. I do people development, and I okay. do it uh, through team enhancement, leadership, uh, career readiness. I do a lot of different things. I still build people. As far as basketball coaching, never say never. I still enjoy being around basketball and certainly coaching basketball. But it's a certain joy that I have in coaching people as it relates to the things that I do with my company. So I'm coaching. Saturday with a workshop on fatherhood. So I'm still coaching, just a different type. 
So you never stop coaching. You never stop never coaching. Stop coaching. Okay. Never stop coaching. I love that. <laughs> Sounds good. Sydney, a pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you My nothing, pleasure. nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Sydney Moncrief. And, and great, great insight uh, from Sidney Moncrief on these NBA playoffs. His thoughts on the Hall of Fame. He definitely probably is a Hall of Famer. Uh, interesting, you know, he can, Andrew Tony and, and Michael Jordan, you know, believes those two, toughest guys for him to guard. And, and to put it, it shows, I guess, how good and how great Andrew Tony was. Ultimately, his career was short-circuited by a foot injury, but it shows you how good Andrew Tony actually was as a player before the foot injury short short circuited what could have been uh, was a great career he had, but could have been better. Definitely could have been better. But you know, great talking to Sidney Moncrief, great insight, and you know, look forward to having him on once again in the near future. Great, great, great time talking to Sidney Moncrief. As we move on uh, throughout the course of the show, and let's go right to the NFL, Philadelphia, <laughs> the Philadelphia Eagles, if you haven't been paying attention, you must be living under a rock. The Philadelphia Eagles, they have been busy. They've been doing the crazy, the peculiar, the odd, the weird, the strange throughout the course of this all season. They've been busy. You don't understand Chip Kelly's plan. All, all you know is that Chip Kelly is trying to build the Philadelphia Eagles in his image whatever that may be. But it got stranger this week. Tim Tebow signed by the Philadelphia Eagles. He worked out with the Eagles about a month ago. Eagles decided to sign him one-year deal, no guaranteed money. They got, what, four or five quarterbacks on that roster right now. Four or five quarterbacks on that roster right now. G.J. Kenny is a quarterback on that roster. G.J. Kenny, um, Sam Bradford. Uh, Mark Sanchez, Tim Tebow, four quarterbacks in the roster. So they obviously have some sort of plan, and who knows? I mean, it's Tim Tebow. He's a third-string quarterback. That's what he's probably fighting for. And also Matt Barkley, I forgot about him. That's five quarterbacks. But Tim Tebow, he's fighting for that third spot. So, I mean, this is really, in a lot of ways, a nothing move. It's no – it's really no – no type of gamble on, on any level. This is just the Eagles, I guess, taking a flyer on Tim Tebow. I mean, Tebow worked out with the Eagles, and they said that they saw improvement. He's been working with a quarterback guru, Tom House, and apparently maybe his mechanics are better, his throwing motion is better, and maybe a guy, what, 49% completion percentage, uh, career completion percentage, maybe – that percentage creeps up with the help of Tom House, with the help of Chip Kelly. Maybe. I mean, <laughs> you know, honestly, you look at Chip Kelly's system, there's a lot of short passes in his system. So with those short passes, <laughs> you know, maybe Tebow's, his, maybe his, his completion percentage will go up. Maybe it will go up because of those dinks and dunks that they do in Philadelphia. If Tebow can get it there, if he can get it there, and if he can, if he gets it there, if he gets it there fast enough, if he gets it there, 
Does he get there on time and everything? I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's the Eagles, you know, they, and he's a 47% completion percentage, his career, 49, if you want to bump it up, 48, excuse me, because 47.9, if you want to round it up. But he's a guy that has, in a lot of ways, he can't throw the football. Not a lot of ways. In reality, he can't throw the football. He can't throw the football effective enough to be able to last in the National Football League. I don't see how a guy, unless this guru is God, and unless this guru is God, Tom House, I don't know how he's going to change a guy who, at his best, at his height, is his career best. His his when he was at his best when the mania was crazy. <clears throat> Excuse me. When Tebow mania was crazy at its best, he was a forty six percent completion percentage in two thousand eleven when he made it to the playoffs and ultimately won a playoff game. That was that. That's when he was at his best, seemingly. <clears throat> 12 touchdowns, 6 interceptions, 46.5% completion percentage. And the thing about the Broncos and during that particular season, they, with the whole thing with Tebow, in, in a lot of ways with that, they really, in, in a lot of ways with Tebow, you know, they, they kept the game close. They did what they had to do to keep the game close defensively. And then Tebow would work his magic in the fourth quarter. I heard Brian Dawkins say, you know what? If you can keep the game close and keep your team in it defensively, in the fourth quarter, Tim Tebow can go crazy and just, uh, uh, you know, be not random, if you will, but be spontaneous, be just go off the seat of his pants and be successful. I mean, in that 2011, it was magical. It was truly, truly, truly a magical season for Tim Tebow. It was magical. But to think that a guy with a 47.9% completion percentage, a, a guy who had performances in games where, you know, he had a game where he was two for eight. I mean, two completions and you're, from your quarterback. In a passing league, you only get two completions from your quarterback, and you still win that particular game. You still win that particular game, even though you completed only two passes. Even though you completed only two passes in the game, you still found a way to win that football game. And if I'm not mistaken, one of those completions was a – I believe it was like a 65-yard bomb uh, to uh, Eric Decker. So, in reality, in reality, Tim Tebow, I don't think he's an NFL quarterback. I, I would love, I would be ecstatic, excited, amazed, happy. I would be genuinely happy if Tim Tebow had success in the National Football League. I would be genuinely happy if Tim Tebow was a competent 
NFL quarterback in this, uh, a competent quarterback, a competent NFL quarterback, or quarterback who can throw from the pocket, or quarterback who can move away. He can't move around from the pocket. He definitely can do that. But a quarterback who can effectively throw from the pocket, I would be excited if he was that guy. I really would. But he's not. He's not that guy. He's had moments. I mean, what, 300, over 300 yards against the Steelers in the playoffs? Big 80-yard bomb to Demarius Thomas, crossing route. Demarius Thomas took him most of the way. He's had moments. He's definitely had moments. But you look what happened when Peyton Manning took over that offense. That offense just put up crazy numbers, crazy points. John Elway knew what he was working with with Tim Tebow. He knew he didn't have a starting NFL quarterback. He knew it. He knew it. And we all knew it. But it was fun. The, 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 the mania was fun. The mania was magical. The, the, it, was, it, was, it was fun. But here's the thing. You know, Tim Tebow in a lot of ways is like Michael Sam. You, you bring him in and, you know, the circus does come to town. The Tebow maniacs come to town. Uh, Michael Sam, everybody, Oprah comes to town with a reality TV show, even though that never happened. But they come to town. You know, they come to town when that happens, when, when you bring a Sam, when you bring a Tebow into the mix. And none of these guys, you know, you could argue none of these guys are really NFL talented players. They're not NFL players. And then Tebow had a few years, three years in the NFL, but was out of league for about three for three years. So you can argue that none of these guys belong in the NFL. Michael Sam, uh, you know, he, he was drafted by the Rams, ultimately cut. Cowboys practice squad, they released him from there. He went back, veterans combine, ran a slower 40 time. So, I mean, you can argue that none of these guys are NFL caliber players. But, you know, if – if Sam gets another chance, the, there's going to be some uh, – the circus will come to town for him, and the circus will come to town to Tebow when Tebow when, – when OTA started in minicamps and Tebow is actually throwing. People want to see if those mechanics are better. People want to see if the, the throwing motion is better. People want to see if he throws a better, crisper ball. They want to see it. They want to see that. And the only way to see that is pretty much – well, the only way to see the only way to see that really is in the preseason is during many camps. The only way we'll know is Tim Tebow is really changed, a changed man, if you will. If 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 the mechanics are different, if this man is a better player, I really hope that he is. I'm I'm hoping, I'm wishing him well. I really do. I wish Tebow, Tim Tebow well. I don't think he's good enough, but I wish him well. I really do. Time will tell if he's good enough. Tom House, if he's changed Tebow, if he's made Tebow a better thrower and turned Tebow into a, a plus 50, above 50% uh, completion percentage, if he can get Tebow at 56, 57% completion percentage, wow, he must be godlike because I don't see it happening. I really, really don't. Stunned if it happened. Stunned. We'll see. We'll see. 
Should be fun. Can't wait. Can't wait for the mania to begin. A lot of great NBA tonight. A lot of great NBA tonight. Um, Mavericks and and the Rockets and the Dallas Mavericks, they bring in Rondo, Rajon Rondo. It didn't work out. He's done with a back injury. Parsons is out. So they're depleted. And the Rockets, you know, when they gave up Chandler Parsons at the time, a lot of people questioned that. But they did bring in a Trevor Ariza, who in a lot of ways has replaced him very well. You know, and the Rockets really I – I can't say they really miss Chandler Parsons. I don't think we can say that. I don't think they miss Chandler Parsons. I really don't. Ariza has stepped in and played very well for the Houston Rockets. And the more I watch this Houston Rocket team, the more I think that possibly, hey, this could be a team that could possibly and actually get to the NBA Finals. They they might be able to get there. You, they They might be able to get there. They have talent. They have players. Harden, MVP, caliber season. Dwight Howard is back. Josh Smith giving them great minutes. There's a there's talent there. So Houston is a team, and, and, you know, maybe they can dispatch Dallas early. And I had this game, this series going a little longer than, than – I had the series going to seven, and I didn't think necessarily that Dallas would win it. I had Houston winning the seven, but I thought it would be a longer, more competitive series. But time will be to tell. Still a lot of basketball to be played, and the series doesn't start. So the home team loses. And thus far, the home team has not lost. We'll see if the Dallas Mavericks can keep it up. But anyway, another big game tonight. Uh, you got the Spurs, Clippers. I, I would say the marquee matchup of this first round, the best series in this first round, the series I'm most looking forward to and, and you know, been enjoying thus far. This is the series to watch. And the Spurs, you know, they got Tim, Tony Parker banged up. He says he'll be fine tonight, hopes he'll be fine tonight. But Patty Mills. Stepped up, gave him 18 big points. He stepped up. And, and Tim Duncan, you know, 39 years old, still a big performance, 28 points, 12 boards. And it was big time, big time. And, and so, you know, you got performance. And this is what the Spurs do. And Jamal Crawford said it perfectly. You know, Manu Ginobili goes out, Danny Green steps in. You know, Parker goes out, Patty Mills steps in. And that's what you get when you have a team like the San Antonio Spurs. They pick each other up. And unsung heroes come out of the woodworks. And and Potty Mills was a big part of their run last year. He had a great NBA final. He was a big part of their run. But I I still think the Clippers are the better team. I think the Clippers are going to win this series. You know, you got you're starting to see some breakdown in terms of injury with Parker, a big part of what they do. And then now you're going to have a situation now where Parker's not 100%, and the Clippers are coming, man. They're coming. And I, I think they'll win this series. I had them winning this series in seven when it first started, and I'm going to stick to that. I still believe they win this series in seven, even though, uh, you know, they won that game on the other night, the, the San Antonio Spurs. I, I felt like – I still felt like the Clippers are playing better. I, I still feel like the Clippers – are the better basketball team in this particular series. But time will tell. Time will tell. It's going to be fun. There's a lot of basketball to be played, as I said. But I really like the way the the, the Clippers are going right now. And I'm interested to see what happens tonight. Tonight should be fun. 
tonight should be interesting. Tonight should tell me some things about what may happen in this series. I expect a big effort out of the Los Angeles Clippers tonight. Will Hacka Jordan happen tonight? Probably so, and it has been effective and has worked very, very well. We sat down with John Lucas last night. Here's our interview with John Lucas. Let's bring him in now, former NBA star John Lucas. John, how are you, sir? Good, Paul. How are you today? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. I'm glad to have it, and it's my first time on, and I'm excited about it. For sure. And, and John, a compelling series out west with the Spurs and the Clippers. Last night's game went to OT. The Spurs would prevail in OT. How do you see the series playing out? Who's going to win it? Well, I think it's going to be a long series, first of all, and I think that a lot of it depends upon how quickly uh, Tony Parker can get back because he's the key. In the last year when they beat the uh, uh, Clippers, he thoroughly outplayed Chris Paul in that series. So now a big factor in that game last night, Paul, was Patty Mills' 18 points. I thought that was a big advantage for them because they got those points from the backcourt that normally would come from Tony Parker. So I thought that was a big adjustment. And then the lack of free free throw shooting and everybody's using the hack of somebody in the series that you see in play to break the momentum of the way teams play offensively. What do you think about the hack of Jordan? I mean, he missed 11 free throws last night, and essentially it worked. What's your thoughts on that strategy? Well, you know, I think that that's a strategy now that is an analytical strategy based on people are saying he, if he makes one out of two free throws, we get an extra possession. If we can change the flow and momentum, it's another direction. And it gives the team that does it hopefully a psychological advantage that if a guy, you know, it, <laughs> It used to be when we played early in the league, if there was a guy who couldn't shoot, you just wouldn't guard him. You would just designate yourself as being the live guy or the guy that would help off a player that couldn't shoot. So in this case, you can't help off a Jordan because he plays inside. But a lot of players, especially when guards weren't really great shooters, but distributors, they wouldn't even guard him. They would just guard him in the lane and double-team everybody who was a threat to score with their player and make him have to score 30 or 40 points. But they're using it in another way to get more possessions, which is a little bit of the analytical side of a basketball, which a lot of the front offices are using statistical people. In saying that, the, uh, the, the best shot the Clippers have is winning this next game in San Antonio. If they can win this next game, then they, the series evens back. But if they go down 2-1 and Parker can rest and get healthy, or go back 3-down, three 3-1, three then that series will be over. But if he can go back to 2-2, two, two, then the home quarters come back. But I do think it's going to be a long series. We're talking to former NBA star, former NBA coach, John Lucas. Tim Duncan last night, 28 points, 11 rebounds, still playing at a high level this late in his career. Talk about it. Well, you know, Paul, it reminds me of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. In one of my last years when he was at 42 years old and scored 41 points on Ralph Sampson and Akeem Olajuwon, and everybody was saying that Kareem was too old, and he had one move, the hook shot. 
Tim Duncan is reminding me of what I do in grassroots basketball. His skills pay the bills. Not a great jumper, but just fundamentally sound and is still beating people with just the fundamentals of the game of basketball. And that is a great thing. You know, he can shoot the ball. He makes free throws. Those don't require age or athleticism. Those require consistency. And he is in phenomenal shape. And, you know, you, you don't win in the playoffs with young players. You win with veterans. And he is the ultimate veteran. And, you know, I didn't have him on my all-time top five before, but after this year, he's on my all-time five top power forwards of all time. Now let's go to, to the Mavericks. Now you have the situation with Rajon Rondo. He's, he didn't look comfortable with the Magic. Uh, not the Magic, with the Mavericks, excuse me. He's out for the playoffs with a back issue. Tell me what you saw out of Rondo. Well, he just doesn't fit. He doesn't fit the style that Rick Carlisle plays. The ball has great movement and everybody. It goes to what we were talking about earlier with uh, Hacker John. Rondo needs to be free to create. And the, the Rick Carlisle is a coach that believes in sending nobody to the offensive class, keeping the scores down, and everybody being able to shoot. I think it's real hard for him because Rondo is on a floor spacer. He's a penetrator who needs the ball. But then that eliminates Dirk Nowitzki for what he does, and it eliminates Monte Ellis. So in getting that pick, it just didn't fit who they were already as a team. So for me, Rondo... You know, Rondo, when he was in Boston with his great years, people forget it. He played with three Hall of Famers. So you got Ray Allen, who really shoot the ball. You got Paul Pierce, who could post up. And you had Kevin Garnett inside. So what he did, that was a fit for him. And it's all of Steve Nash when Steve Nash was with the Mavericks. Steve Nash couldn't play very much because they had a system of having to feed the post and people coming off down screens and curls. Well, Nash wasn't affected that way, but as soon as he got to Mike being Tommy and they had side pick and rolls and, and early pick and rolls and freedom, he became an MVP in the league. It's all about fit and where you go. So sometimes in our league that guys look like they can't play, it's because they don't fit that system. And a lot of guys go for a long time hoping to find a system that fits them. For sure. For sure, and, and then obvious to your point, he just didn't fit with what the Mavericks and Rick Carlisle were trying to do. Let's look at the Eastern Conference now. I look at the Eastern Conference, three teams I feel like can come out of East, the Bulls, Cavaliers, and Hawks. In your mind, who comes out of the East? Uh, that's going to be tough. I, I, I really like the Cavaliers and what they did. I really like the Cavaliers and what they've done in in regards to their trades they made. They've been getting Shumper for more defense inside, getting uh, the big fellow Moscow from uh, Denver to add depth to them. They're a very veteran team. If Derrick Rose stays healthy, that's going to be a great series. But don't count out Atlanta because they, whoever comes out of that, that Boston-Chicago series going to be beat up pretty bad. That's going to be a real grueling and physical series. We're talking to former NBA star, former NBA coach, John Lucas. How about the Western Conference? Obviously the Warriors, 
uh, best record in the NBA, but you still got those Spurs lurking, and you still got what six other teams with fifty plus wins in the Western Conference. Do the Warriors get out of the West? That's going to be very interesting. I, you know, I like uh, my team that I live in. I like the way the Rockets are playing, especially with Dwight Howard getting healthy again and Josh Smith being able to play multiple positions. And you can make a great case for James Harden for getting the MVP too. I do like the way I just think you shoot. You live and die by those threes. I'm an old-school guy. You've got to have an inside game to win it all. And I think that that's what is missing from the Warriors because any night that they're shooting, it could be off, which is at any time they could be in trouble. So who wins it all? Oh, I knew you were going to keep me on that spot. <laughs> I, you know what? Right now I like the Rockets to have a good chance, and I like the Rockets. Memphis I wouldn't sleep on, but the defending champions really look good. And I think Greg Popovich has done a great job managing minutes all year. So I'm going to say the Spurs are going to come out. I'll be really disappointed if the Clippers don't get out in the first round. It's a bad matchup for them, but they have had the talent to be good for a while. And I just, I'm surprised that they weren't better this year to end up with fourth or fifth seed. So we're going to have an all John Lucas, uh, a Lucas Bowl uh, NBA Finals Spurs Cavaliers. <laughs> that would be. I would probably be depressed because <laughs> I was there to get LeBron when I was there, got him, and didn't get to coach him. And I felt like when Pop became the general manager, I left to go to, to become the general manager of the Sixers because I felt that he wanted to coach. I was right about both. <laughs> so let me ask you a question: What if you had LeBron James? What would have happened? to Coach Lucas as a coach, would he have won a ring? You know, it's funny, Paul, you asked that. I always tell guys when I used to coach, when I was with the Spurs, we won 62 games in 59 before I left to go to Philly, and then we lost 60 games when I went to Philly. And I realized that talent wins games. But, you know, and I always used to tell my guys all the time, you guys probably won't feel Jackson. I would love to have the Lakers. I'm not saying I'm going to win 10 titles, but I'm going to win a few if I got that team. And I'll see if Phil can win with you guys with this team. (laughs) Coach, let's look at the new rules in the National Basketball Association. It seems to favor quick guards, the Chris Pauls, the Steph Currys, the Damian Lillards of the world. Imagine if you were playing in these rules today. What kind of numbers would you put up? You know what? You know, my point guard and today's point guards are different. And, you know, Paul, that's an interesting question, and you've got to do this on your show at another time. The most athletic position in the NBA used to be the small forward spot. But if you go through the league now, the most athletic position is the point guard spot. And, I mean, you know, those guys are like I was a big passer and a contributor and a distributor to be a contributor. I could score, but not at the rate that these guys score at now and how physical and big and quick. You look at Derrick Rose. You look at Chris Paul, like you said, but the Schroeder. You look at uh, Steph Curry. You look at James Harden. You look at Russell Westbrook. Uh, you look at Damian Lillard. That, 
it's the most athletic position in basketball right now. For sure, for sure. I mean, it's a, and and they're definitely taking advantage of the new rules, and it helps. I mean, the the, the no hand. And, and you know, they're big, they're physical, and you and and if they're faced up, you can't touch them. And right. That's, that's tough to guard. For sure, for sure. And see, when I play these the hand check, right? You keep off all more. Can you imagine not touching somebody now? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you this now, John. You, you do a lot of work with high schoolers, and I, I believe that high school players should be allowed to go straight from high school to the NBA. Do you believe that? Do, do you do you have that similar opinion, or does your opinion differ? Uh, no. You know, you know what has happened, Paul. You go into individual sports like golf, tennis. There's not the physical difference. The NBA's draft was originally set up to make the worst teams better because you were getting a four-year player. It's now set up to draft high schoolers or first players out for one year, not to make teams better, but not to pay guys the amount of money they want to make until they get to be really good. So if I draft a guy in the first round and he's 19 and he doesn't pan out, a lot of the players pick is really a two-year guarantee. And then I have the right as the owner of the team to decide if I want to renew his contract at a certain rate. Well, if a guy comes out, then they draft somebody else. But it's not set up that the team is set up to make the team go. Like, I'll give you an example. Look at the uh, Oakland, like the Oklahoma Thunder. They drafted all those young kids. And for a year, Westbrook averaged like seven turnovers a game. And through three coaches before he got really good, but you had no choice to play in until he got really good. Well, that doesn't favor coaches. That favors the players. So, like, if you have him and you must play him, you're going to lose games. But does that put the onus on on, uh, scouts, GMs, coaches to scout better? No, it doesn't because those guys just physically aren't ready. They haven't developed that. That's one of the reasons I got into so grassroots from fourth grade on to get the skill level up earlier. You know, everybody's drafting people because they run and jump and then see if they can teach them how to play. Well, in the process, people are going to get tired having to play guys as they get better. Look at the Utah. Look at, at some of the teams in the league that are just young and not very good because you have to wait on players to get older to get better. LeBron James, it took eight years to get to where he is now, and he's one of the, the best players in the world when he came out of high school, but he wasn't ready yet. And the guys missing college, the maturity. And so for me, when you ask that question, watch an NBA game, I'm looking at a really, in some cases, I'm looking at a really good, what I consider to be a really good college game. And then when I look at high school, I'm really looking at some really good junior high school basketball. Okay. And junior high school is really looking at some good elementary basketball because the skill level is there. The athleticism is, but the skill level. And you just can't beat maturity and reps. Okay, you asked me who won. I didn't give you any young teams winning the championship. I didn't say the Celtics were going to win. <laughs> right? Right. So, you know, so so, okay. and those guys... But, but those guys are having to play 
in spite of their development. Now, Evan Turner, when he came in the league, he's had three years. He's moved to two teams where that was unheard of when I came out. A guy, when you got a guy in the first round, he was going to be your franchise player all the way through. So you're, are you okay you with one and done? I think you would have a 10-year. I'm, I'm in favor of going all the way back to freshman basketball in, in college okay. and then hardship cases after their junior year. Okay. All right. So at least, at least you know, because So then you would get a better product because I would like to see where guys would come in and help the team get ready. Look at, look at uh, Anthony Davis. You imagine Anthony Davis coming out with his skill set now, two years ago, with the way he plays now, two years ago, to New Orleans? How much better they would have been two years ago? Right. You know, I, so I mean, what it is is trying to speed up the maturation process for the younger kids, but it's at the expense of, of coaches, scouts, and GMs. And you're saying scouting better. Can, but they got to learn how to play because the high school, the college game, is so much different than the pro game. Right, now, if you want to really make a difference, then put a 20-second shot clock in college. Right. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You know what I'm saying? Then now the game would be the same all the way through. Then that would I, help the game. I want to ask you this now, John. You fought, you beat substance abuse, and you helped many do the same. Let me ask you this. Is there one particular athlete, one guy that stands out and says, that makes you say, you know what, I'm really proud of the man that this person has become? That's a great question. You know, being sober, and this is my 29th year, there are, are people, it is a very hard thing to do because so many people don't want the uh, public responsibility of staying sober, a lot of us like to remain anonymous. And then a lot of us fall off the wagon and it becomes with so much social media, you get scrutinized when you do. So it's a real onus about maintaining their sobriety and knowing that they're working in the field trying to help others. We don't have that right now in the community because nobody wants to make a a public statement about that because so much is being done and not the focus is on alcoholism or drug addiction as it once was. Now we have so many other issues like uh, being gays out there in sports now, uh, more than just being a drug or alcohol. It is more socially acceptable than when I did 29 years ago. So until that point, you really don't know because a lot of guys, it isn't reported. So so many guys are not. They may be in the league, the NBA, NFL, all these drug programs. It just isn't as public as it once was. So you don't know, and there's not a lot of guys who have taken that manner to, they want to help in another way, but maybe not say in, 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 in life's way. Because an addiction is about life and how to handle life on life's terms. It's not the drinking part of it. The drinking part is the solution to life. It makes you medicate your feelings so you don't have to feel that pain or what happens in life to you. Will we see Coach? Will we see John Lucas 
coaching in the NBA, coaching in college at some point? Well, you know, I've had some opportunities in college. And, you know, I, my first two, you know, I, I coached. When I first went into coaching, I coached to make a difference. And we won two playoff series two times when I coached for two years in San Antonio and won an average of 59 games. And then the last two teams I went to, both teams were trying to sell the teams. And as players got better, they sold the team. Uh, and so that affects your record. I would really like to, if I had an alternative at my age, I would really like to coach in the league one more time. If I could, I would give up all of my grassroots business to do that because I would like to go out the right way. You know, the last two opportunities to coach, it was about selling the teams. Both teams sold them. But what do you do? I got to take the job because what would I do? Give it to you? <laughs> For you, sure. You know what I'm saying? I, I, <laughs> yeah. So, so, and, you know, it's a career killer because your only resume is your wins and losses. So, like, if you, you know, look at Scotty Brooks this year. It's a small window now. He's been in eight playoffs. He missed it this year. So, they, you know, they terminated. But, you know, he's in a position that he'll get another chance. Yeah. And, and I can't fall. I can't fall. And see, like, but I will tell you this, Paul. You asked a great question. When we won those 59 games or 50-some games in San Antonio, you know what? I felt like we were going to win those games with me or without me. Okay. And, you know, that my only window was to win the championship. For me, I coach because I want to make a difference in lives. And the NBA okay. is about winning games. So there was a little bit of a conflict early for me, but I know the difference now. And, and you know, speaking of did, – did, was that conflict, conflict in Philadelphia where you brought in a lot of guys who had – uh, uh, various substance abuse issues? Well, I had too many guys that was too hard at that time to kind of take care of. Right. You know, it was really tough, and I had guys that I wasn't going to spend a lot of money on getting my team better, you know, because, because it, it, you know, we brought in Lloyd Daniels from New York who mm-hmm. played for me in San Antonio, uh, Vernon Maxwell uh, that was there, and we had a very good producer weren't big enough to compete, and we weren't going to spend a lot of money. Richard Dumas as well. I remember him as well. Yeah, he Richard Dumas as well, yes. So, I mean, you, you, you tried to make a difference. Well, not, no, I was trying to win games. I thought, <laughs> I thought they were talented enough. They had right. been there. And, but, you know, I, I learned uh, that as you, you can probably have – one or two guys. I had a lot of success in San Antonio when I had Dennis Rodman, and you know Dennis was there, and I was able to handle that. But with these guys, we just weren't good enough. You know, we weren't good enough. But you know now, what? Jeff- it was real humbling. I thought I thought my plays that I ran for David Robinson, I thought they would work with Sean Bradley. It didn't work. <laughs> I went from the third rated best coach to the to the twenty ninth coach in a year. How did that happen? <laughs> Talent, players. <laughs> <laughs> I learned that, and I. But you know what? It's a great lesson because I thought it was me that was the reason we were winning, and it was. It wasn't. It was that we had talent, and it's funny. The teams that have had talent and coaches that have stayed on top, they all got great talent, and they're able to coach great talent. 
Right, right. I mean, Phil Jackson, Shaq, Kobe, Jordan, Pippen, Rodman, you know, Greg Popovich, Parker, Ginobili, Duncan. I mean, to your point, you know, great talent makes great coaches. You know, but, you see, they, they, they've, been, they've been fortunate enough not to get to coach bad teams. You know, I, I could keep waiting. I, and that's one of the mistakes I made as a coach, Paul. I left a 59-game team to go to a team that lost 60 games. And that was what my point was. If I was going to be a career coach, no coach would have career. That's coaching suicide. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, like, you right. don't do that. And I learned, and I learned. And then the next opportunity I got was, you know, we won 39 games in Cleveland, and the next year we trade Andre Miller. We get uh, we get rid of uh, DeWan Wagner gets hurt. We lose the Galkas, and um, it was more about trying to get LeBron. And they, you know, you don't admit that until it's called, but that's what they were trying to do. So you really haven't had a chance to say, you know what, we're trying to win. But I've become a better coach because I've studied and done very well with the development of players and studied the game even more and gone back. Because I didn't have, see, I, I came in as a head coach. I was Jason Kidd two years ago when I came into coaching. Okay. I came in and had instant success. So I didn't have a network of coaches that were going to put me on their benches. And most people don't put former head coaches on their bench. Right. Definitely. Fans, this guy's doing big things. Make sure you hit him up on Twitter at Coach John Lucas One. Make sure you go to his website, JohnLucasEnterprises.com, and support all the great things going on with John Lucas. John, it was a pleasure, man. Pleasure talking to you. Wish you nothing but the best of luck. Let's do this again. All right. Thank you for having me on. What a pleasure. I'm excited. Take care. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't mean anything in the playoffs, time. When the playoffs come, it doesn't mean anything. I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your, nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around you. I just don't know what you're Come capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all. That's not Robbie. That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. (laughs) And we're back. I want to thank John Lucas for stopping by. Great talking to John Lucas. A lot of insight, a lot of great stories. We're going to bring in a guy now doing some big things in the pawn shop world. If you you don't know, I I bet you do know, True TV, each and every Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, this guy, Seth Gold, Hardcore Pawn, Detroit, Michigan, these guys are doing big things in the pawn shop world. They have an exciting show, and and they're making hopefully some big-time money doing it. Let's bring him in now, one of the stars of Hardcore Pawn, 
Seth Gold. Seth. Hey, guys. Hey, thanks for having me on. How are you? Good. How are you? Great, great. Let's get right down to it, man. Ninth season of Hardcore Pawn. How's business? Business is great. You know, keep doing our thing. Uh, if you do things well, people are going to be interested. And, uh, you know, nine seasons in, 165 episodes, things are doing and going very, very well, for sure. How much has the show changed your business? You know, I break it down like this. We were successful before the show got here, successful while the show was here. The show's not going to last forever, uh, and we're still going to be successful. So the show, has it drastically changed the business? I wouldn't say it's drastically changed the business. It's brought a spotlight to pawn shops and made it cool to go to a pawn shop, right? So before the show, people used to hold their heads down when they walked in because they weren't having the best luck. But now it's cool to go to the pawn shop because everyone wants to catch a deal, and people have some unique things that they want to get rid of. So it's it's made the business more mainstream how much has life changed for you <laughs> crazy i was just in italy and the show is dubbed over so imagine doing your job and then going to a foreign country where nobody speaks english and your show is translated uh and doing extremely well so it's my life has changed 180 degrees for the you better, love the attention sure. You know, it was funny because I got approached to do the show, and I said that I didn't want to do it. I actually hung up on the producer saying, no, I'm not interested. Um, it was my dad who kind of twisted my arm and said, we're going to do it no matter what. Um, so I'm not used to it yet. Like, when people want to take pictures with me and, uh, you know, get my autograph, I, I say, for what? Because I'm just a regular pawnbroker. It, it's interesting, right? Nobody can really – I can't really explain it. It's cool. It's got to feel good for the ego. I mean, the ego's got to feel good. <laughs> No ego, man. I still have a job, 9 to 5. I was at the pawn shop today. I'm traveling tonight. I'll be back at the store tomorrow. Okay, all right. We're talking to one of the stars of Hardcore Pawn, Seth Gold. And, and Seth, let me ask you this. And You know, economically, Detroit has not been doing well over the past few years. But in reality, that's kind of good for the pawn shop business. True? Well, here's the thing. So there's 25 million people across the United States that are underbanked and don't have traditional banking. So we see those types of people walk through the store every day. However, in the past few years with the economic downturn, um, it's kind of created a bigger interest in pawnbroking, right? So people aren't having their best day. They obviously need some money to pay some bills. They come to us. So let me actually flip it on you guys for a second. So out of 10 people that get loans with me, how many of you think come back and get their stuff? Meaning how many people do you think come back and not default on their loan? What do you, what do you say? Out of 10? I, would, I would say about 10%. So about 10%, we actually look between 80 to 90% redemption rate. Okay. All right. So most people come back for their stuff. They they need a short-term loan. They bridge, uh, you know, money problems and uh, pick up their stuff. So some some respect, you're 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 a hero on on some level. You're saving the day. Well, yeah. So when everybody else says no and traditional forms of banking say no, we say yes. Okay. All right. I mean, it's a good thing. I mean, obviously, uh, you're helping people out in a pinch in, in some respect. I, I, I'm watching the show, and, and, and I see a, a woman come in there try to sell her wig. I mean, what, what, what are some <laughs> of the crazy things that people try to sell you? You name it, we've seen it. So people try and uh, pawn their wig. They try and pawn um, their glass eye. They try and pawn uh, a jack of working van. So you see everything and everything. Some sports memorabilia. So I've seen some championship rings come through the store. You name it, people bring it. 
Wow. I mean, <laughs> is there some things that you say, why are you bringing this to me? Um, yeah, so a customer will come in, they found a rock outside, and they think it's made out of gold. And um, I have to explain to them that their, their rock isn't worth much money, and why are you wasting my time? <laughs> you see it. I mean, uh, the stories are just endless. We're talking to one of the stars of Hardcore Pawn on True TV, Seth Golden. Seth, obviously with this show and obviously working in the family business, you spend a lot of time with your family, your sister, your dad, all of them. Are there times where you say, you know what, Dad, I need a break, sister, I need a break? Of, of course. So, you know, imagine working with your sibling uh, in a high-pressure area where you deal with a 1,000 customers a day and uh, add cameras onto it. Yeah, I tell my sister and my dad I need a break all the time, and I tell them to walk out the store so I can run it the way that I want to run it, and they laugh in my face. So um, there's no breaks for me. Do you get tired of the cameras at times? I mean, does that get annoying at times? Yeah, you know, we've been doing it for such a long time. At first, I kind of was all hung up that the cameras were following me around. I really wasn't uh, keen on them being around. But now it's it's kind of like they're always there. So um, you just act like yourself. You forget the cameras are there, and you just go about your business. So it's not this kind of operation where we set up just for cameras. We're running our store. So at 9 o'clock, I walk in. I put my mic pack on. I put on the shirt that you see me wear on the show, and then I just go. And, you know, you kind of forget about your surroundings, and you just do what you do to make a living, to make sure you can survive. Are you thinking about changing that shirt? <laughs> so that's like the million-dollar question. Everyone's like, can't you afford a new shirt? And I have multiple shirts of the same style. So it's for continuity purposes. So I, okay. if you looked in my closet, I have 12 of the same shirt. Okay. All right. So <laughs> is, is, do you think possibly you could switch up the uniform, switch up your, 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 your gear, if you will, switch up your clothes? Yeah. You know, I think that's what we need to do. We need to put a coalition with all your listeners and talk to the production company to switch up my shirt for the next season. So let's do that. Let's gain as much support as possible. Twitter people, let's make it happen. So they make you, you have no choice. No, there's no choice in it. All right, all right. We're talking to one of the stars of Hardcore Pawn, Steph Golden. And, Steph, how about celebrities? I mean, has any celebrities, any athletes come into your store and want to pawn anything off? Not, not pawn anything off, but Mila Kunis was filming a movie in Detroit. She's a big fan of the show, so she came out to check us out. Aaron Paul came in the store. So we see a wide range of celebrities that are interested in the show, for sure. N so no one has yet to come in, been down on their luck, and want to sell you know, some jewelry or something? I can't tell you that. I can't tell you that. But, yeah, I've seen, I've seen some athletes come in, for sure. <laughs> See, I'm, are, are there times where you where you actually feel bad for people and you're like, wow, I mean, I feel bad almost taking this. I feel bad almost buying this from you. Yeah, so, of course, I'm human, right? So I see kids come in with their parents and they're getting a loan on a video game system. And, you know, I would be lying if I say it didn't uh, pull my heartstrings. Um, so, yes, there's a human element that, of course, you feel bad for people. But like you said, and I mentioned earlier, that, you know, you're a resource for them. Um, they don't have family where they can get $20 from, right? And so this isn't a charity. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you try and balance the business end from the uh, human end, and you've got to compromise at some point. Are there times where you wanted to make it a charity and just like, look, just have this, have it? <laughs> yeah. There's, of course, so I had the woman come in once, and her father just passed away, and she didn't have enough money to bury him, and she was a wreck in all circumstances. So, you know, we ended up giving her some money so she could get a proper burial for her dad. 
That's great. That, that, that's definitely a great thing. Let me ask you this. You, you, I, I hear you guys have a lot of sports memorabilia. What's your prized possession? So I'm a huge University of Michigan guy, which kind of begs the question, why am I in Columbus, Ohio right now? But I'm here because a buddy of mine owns a jewelry store that I'm going to. Uh, that's do that's, that's, that's sacrilegious. That's sacrilegious. I know, right? And he wanted me to take a picture with the Ohio State shirt today. I was like, absolutely not. But in, uh, in any regard, we uh, pawned uh, a couple of Rose Bowl rings from University of Michigan. Um, and it was from an athlete that played on the team back in 2003 and 2004. And uh, it's now part of my collection. It is for sale, so if you want to buy it, they are definitely for sale because i just like to say that I owned it for a brief period of time. Okay. So you- there's no things that you just want to just keep. Is that something – are there things that you just want to keep for yourself and ultimately you do keep for yourself? Well, so here's the thing. So you know those University of Michigan rings. So they retail. Like you can pick them up for about four grand. Uh, I'm selling mine for ten grand. So so there's a little bit of uh, – yeah, if someone wants to pay the price, it's for sale. But I haven't uh, kind of gone to the economy of scale with that one yet. So – it's still for sale. I'm keeping it because I think it's part of the collection, but everything everything is for sale. You are a Michigan grad, of course. How do you like the move of Jim Harbaugh? Uh, I mean, you couldn't get a better candidate. All he needs to go out now and do is uh, win some football games for us. It's been a long time since uh, we could watch a Saturday and know that we're going to win. So he kind of restores uh, Michigan tradition. For sure. Fans. Make sure you support all the great things going on with Seth Gold at Hardcore Pawn. Go to PawnDetroit.com. Also, hit this man up on Twitter at Seth HCP and support all the great things going on with Seth Gold, Hardcore Pawn, each and every Wednesday, 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern on True TV. This show is getting a lot of ratings. The highest rated show on True TV, correct? Five years running, baby. Keep it going. You're doing big things. Keep it up, Seth. Mm -hmm. Pleasure talking to you, man. Nothing but the best of luck. Let's do it again. Thanks. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Take care. Seth Gold, one of the stars of Hardcore Pawn, each and every Wednesday, 9 p.m. Eastern, on True TV. Support all the great things going on. Seth Gold, Hardcore Pawn, True TV. Let's go to Greg Hardy now. and um, Ten-game suspension for Greg Hardy. And, you know, it's a situation where – I have some issues with it. I, I got to be honest with you. Granted, do I think Greg Hardy did something in this particular case? Yes, I definitely do. Greg Hardy apparently did get, would avert, get into it uh, a verbal spat with one of his teammates today. I, I don't think that's much. I think that's much to do about nothing. But anyway, Greg Hardy, ten game suspension, will be out ten games, eligible to return November twenty sixth against guess who, the Carolina Panthers. But anyway. The league did an investigation, and you know, at the time, you know, back last season, where he was a uh, he was eventually uh, well convicted by a judge. A, he didn't have a jury trial, but he had a judge trial where he got 60 days suspended sentence and 18 months probation on misdemeanor charges. And you know, he was found guilty at the time of July in July of 2014, found guilty of assaulting his former girlfriend and also threatening to kill her. Found guilty by a judge. In the state of North Carolina, you can appeal, and you can appeal to a jury trial. As in the process of, of preparation, ultimately, when the trial was about to happen, well, it learned, it, we learned that Greg Hardy, you know, may have thrown some money at it, 
and his problem in terms of the legal system went away. But ultimately this, you look at this story, and I think it's a dangerous game in the National Football League when you're suspending guys in a lot of ways based off allegations. I mean, Michael Vick was suspended before his thing even went to trial. You know, um, you know, Brent Roethlisberger, you know, he basically was suspended on allegations at the end of the day. And, and Greg Hardy, yes, he was convicted, but at the same time, according to the law, charges were dismissed, so at the end of the day, He's good. So as far as I'm concerned, and I'm not saying Greg, I'm not in support of Greg Hardy in terms of what he did. If what he did is true, then Greg Hardy needs some help, and what Greg Hardy did was vile, evil, bad. So I'm not mad at I'm not here to support Greg Hardy. No, I'm not, and I won't. But what I will say is this. Last year, he was on a commissioner's exempt list. He got paid, but he couldn't play. And it's, it's essentially a suspension. I know he got paid, but it's basically a suspension. It's basically go away. Play one game last season. Didn't play again. Missed 15 games. And, and, and in a lot of ways, you know, it's kind of, if you look back on it, you could argue that it's unfair because Greg Hardy, ultimately, the charges were dismissed. Now, we know why the charges were dismissed, but the charges were dismissed. Now, I'm not here, again, to support Greg Hardy. But I think, ultimately, what's going to happen, just like Ray Rice, just like Adrian Peterson, I think Greg Hardy, ultimately, will still have a suspension. But it might be of a two-game variety, which it was back under the old, uh, uh, under the old plan, if you will. You can come out and support Roger Goodell all you want. You can big up Roger Goodell all you want. You can uh, 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 throw a parade for Roger Goodell all you want and say he got it right. Maybe he did. Yes, he did. You could argue if, if if these allegations are true, he got it right. But at the same time. For us, all of us, to sit here and say that the National Football League actually cares about domestic violence, we would be lying. We all would be lying. They don't care. And Roger Goodell was supposed to be this guy who came in and was going to be the new sheriff in town and clean everything up and, 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 and make players accountable for their behavior. He did it. But at the same time, in the process of doing it, did it really change? I mean, we, 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 get, we dole out consequences with the hope that behaviors will change. Well, the ch- behaviors have not changed. There's still guys out there doing things that they don't need to be doing. There's 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 still guys out there uh, misbehaving, acting a fool. Still guys out there doing it. So did all this suspensions and 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 and, and you know fines and all this stuff did it really change behaviors? No. 
So if it really didn't change behaviors, does it really work? Maybe. Time will tell. You know, time will tell. We'll let time be the judge of that. But I will say this. I will say this. You know, in some respect, this is what the NFL had to do because I think they had, you know, you had to create the perception that you care. You had to create the perception that you're coming hard and, and, and you're swift with justice. You have to create that perception. So I get it and I understand it. And if I was Roger Goodell, I'd probably do the same thing. But I think at the end of the day, this will be overturned. I think at the end of the day, this suspension won't be 10. might be somewhere around four or two under the old policy. And I think we'll be seeing Greg Hardy uh, on the football field maybe after week three or possibly after week four. Or week four. Uh, yeah, after week four. So we'll see. We'll see. But I, I just I, I feel like this is he was already punished on some level because he didn't play 15 games. He got paid, but he missed 15 games. So I think he was already punished. And I, I just think moving forward, they should move on. I think, you know, we should just move on from all this because they're going to lose. The NFL is going to lose, I believe. And I think we should just move on from this and just, you know, let Greg Hardy be on some level, even though I get why they did it and I would have did the same thing if I'm in the National Football League. But I, I think also at the same time you want to just move past all this and get past and move forward and, and just forget about all of all the nonsense and all the craziness of 2014. I want to thank uh, Seth Gold for stopping by. Also want to thank uh, John Lucas for stopping by and also Sidney Moncrief for stopping by. You can listen to this show and other great shows, blogtalkradio.com slash pcam, where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter at GoForItGant, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. I didn't even get a chance to get to Mayweather-Pacquiao, but next week when we're on the air, the weighing will be happening. Las Vegas will be buzzing. I'm so excited. Anyway, see you later next week. Mayweather-Pacquiao, a week away. I can't wait. I, I, I'm excited. I, I, I can't wait. Can't wait. I've been waiting for this fight forever. This is just as big as the Super Bowl for me. But Mayweather-Pacquiao next week. I'm excited to talk about We're going to talk about a lot next week. NFL Draft, we're going to talk about that a lot next week. And NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, baseball, there's a lot of sports to be played. May 2nd will be one of the days of the year in 2015. See you later. Take care. Bye.